The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. It is great to see everyone's faces. Hello. All right. Good morning. Let's go to the word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer once more this morning, shall we? Well, Father, we uh, oh, we come to you rejoicing and also trembling, knowing whom you are—a God to be feared, a God to embrace all together and in one. And, and God, we know, even as my brother Nathan prayed, you, um, you are trustworthy. And even as we sung, you are trustworthy to meet us here. And I pray, God, I ask that you would, please, that you would allow uh, a word from you, from your word, from Genesis 16, to be imparted and shared together. God, because we need life-giving truth Please, be honored, be glorified, and magnify your Son, Jesus, our Savior. In the preaching of your word this morning, I ask in his name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, blessed to be able to provide God's word this morning. And to begin, uh, a question, I have a question to hold God's word before us this morning in our hands as if, as if we're holding a gift to be received. You know, that's like a gift that like you're taking both hands and you're taking it in, right? Uh, which God's word certainly is. And by his help will permit me to impart it as such. You know, like both hands taking in it, a gift to be received. And, and so I'll, I'll ask a question at the beginning and then also at the end of the sermon. Two hands, two questions, bringing this gift in together. And that question being, what patterns are being set in your household? What patterns are being set in your household? And patterns are, are, are set by examples shown over a lapse of time, right? You know, words matter. They do. They are significant. But it is our practice our example, our, our habits that formulate the influence in our household. And the one who has the most influence, though we, we all contribute, but the one who has the most influence by their example within the home is the parent. And among the parents, the father. If I were to ask you, what if Abram had a nickname given to him in the New Testament? What would you say it would be? I'll give you a hint. There's a song. <laughs> right? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, so are you. You know the song. So Father Abraham, yes. Father Abraham, noted as father by being whom God first made the covenant promise to that through Abraham, 
God would work to restore all that sin had ruined in God's perfect world. God's story of redemption. That through an offspring of Abraham, all nations would be blessed. Ultimately, that a way would be provided whereby a sinner may become righteous before God. This was all fulfilled through Jesus, and it is by faith in him whereby one is made righteous. I love how Romans 8, 3 and 4 state that so clearly. For God has done what the law, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And this is by faith in his name. Abraham believed God And God counted it to him as righteousness. And we likewise believe in the same promise. Now seeing Jesus as the fulfillment of it, right? And also have it counted to us as righteousness. That same faith counted as to righteousness. So that is Father Abraham in that context. But he is also, or should I say will soon be, a father in the context of being a dad, a dad within his home as this covenant promise unfolds, right? He's going to have offspring. To be an offspring, you got to have children. And as a dad, as a father-to-be, he is setting patterns that will carry influence through his household to have either harmful effects or helpful effects. Either way, He brings a formative influence over his household for harm or for help. As do we as fathers and together as parents. And today we see both effects taking place by two different fathers. For indeed, a father has a formative influence over his household, period. That's the the core take-home from God's word today. A father's formative influence over their household. Now, lest you are thinking this sermon is just for dads, like, cool, I can check out, right? This is just a dad sermon. Like, hold that thought. Hold that thought. For although the example from the passage before us is drawn from a father's formative influence over his household, the same principle can be applied or can be equally applied to how our practice, our patterns, our habits habits have formative influence over ourselves. Like, who, like over ourselves, who you are becoming. That is formed by our habits, our patterns, by, by our lives day in and day out. Who, are we, who we are becoming. But then they also go outwardly, outward on influence that we bring to our circle of influence, right? We bring that to whom we interact with. Hence the saying. So whether you are a youth or a granddad, it's an important truth for all of us to receive this morning. 
the formative influence that, that our, our practice, our patterns, our habits produce. Let's get some, um, let's get some time frame perspective at this juncture. For I find it just, I find it helpful to do so. So I'm going to do that. So Genesis 12, a couple chapters back, 12.4 tells us that Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Okay, you don't have to turn there or you can if you like. But he says in verse 4 of 12 that he was 75 when he departed from Haran. And then in the, in the chapter in consideration today, Genesis 16, verse 16, the very last verse of this chapter, God's word informs us Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him, which is when Abram first became a dad. That was his first child. So 75 to 86, 11 years has lapsed. From the time Abram left Haran, as God told him, calling him to go to the land of Canaan, to the time when Hagar bore Ishmael to him, which, we will, which will be seen today. During that span of 11 years, do you remember? First of all, a famine took place. Do you remember that? A famine, which caused Abram to go to Egypt. Abram is, is sent out of Egypt then by Pharaoh, and he returns to the place he first called upon the name of the Lord in the land of Canaan. It is here where Abram and Lot, they separate due to the land not being able to support all of them. And he goes south. He goes south in the land of Canaan from that place he was at in the hill country between Bethel and Ai. He goes south from there to Hebron by some oaks where he settles and builds his third altar, calling upon the name of the Lord again. And then following this, his nephew Lot gets in trouble. He gets in a bad state while living in the city of Sodom that was defeated by those, but, but that was defeated and taken captive by those four kings, those four allied kings. Lot and his household are amongst those captives. Abram rescues Lot and shortly after meets this mysterious character, Melchizedek. You know, this is all over the span of 11 years. He meets this mysterious character, Melchizedek, who, who blesses Abram and receives from Abram tithes. The next scene is where God renews his covenant with Abram in chapter 15, where Abram believes the word of the Lord, the Lord's promise made to him, and God counted it to him as righteousness. That's verse 6 of chapter 15. And this brings us to where we are currently in Abram's life. This brings us to today here in chapter 16. That's marked by both his life, marked by both faithfulness and also faithlessness. Time has, has lapsed, and therefore, over this time, there has been some patterns. Patterns that are, are formulating or perhaps even, even set in his household by his example over those years. And verses 1 through 3 provide intro into our first point. So let's go ahead and read that, now that we've got some time frame perspective here. So now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. 
So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. So do you know that time frame? Did you note that time frame, Genesis 16, 3, that, that last one we just read? So after Abram, Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, which includes that time he went to Egypt and came back, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And a year later, making it 11 years, as Genesis 16, 16 states, Ishmael was born to him. Okay, so there's that time frame. A decade has passed, right? Now we're getting to Sarai here. A decade has passed. Sarai, aware, aware of this promise that God has made to Abram, she's also very much aware that she remains without child, that she's, she's barren. And, and temptation enters Sarah's heart to take matters into her own hands as best she can, which is a bit reminiscent of Abram doing so when they went down to Egypt, right? Abram then, the husband, was leading by bad example. And it comes back, to, it comes back on him 10 years later. So there's a, there's a warning to take notice of with our first point. And that is, bad examples return with harmful effects. Bad examples return with harmful effects. So here it is, like Abram's beautiful, very attractive wife. We know scripture is very clear on that, right? His wife sways him, sways him contrary to what he believed God would do. I mean, believed it so much, God says, I count it to you as righteousness. He believed it, that God would do just what he promised. And Sarai devises a plan contrary to it, which you could say were seeds from Egypt that Abram planted, right? He totally did. Sarai pitches this plan to Abram, who doesn't give any kickback whatsoever. I mean, there's nothing. There's no resistance. Like, okay. He is quick to comply. And what does this show us? What does this show us? Right here, his resolve was weak. His resolve was weak. Following a ridiculous campaign, mind you, right? Ridiculous campaign to rescue his nephew Lot from four kings. What did he have, 318 of his trained men? Yeah, that's it. Which he, by God's glory, triumphed in doing. And not just a little. He chased them like days away from there. Killed it. And then he has this amazing, intimate time and conversation with God who affirms his promise for the umpteenth time with Abram and does so this time with a covenant by sacrifice. It's like, not only is this the several times, but this, I'm going to do a covenant this time. I'm going to be, well, you know the story. I'm not going to rehag or go through that, but with a covenant. So following all this, it's revealed there remained existing in Abram's flawed character the vulnerability to fall prey to a weak resolve. Abram listened to the voice of his wife. 
What is not said, but implied, is that he was not listening to the voice of the Lord. If, if there is a stronger deterrent to listening to the voice of the Lord than a man's own wife whom he loves, I challenge you to make it known. You may say your own voice, which certainly can and does deceive you at times. But listen, if, if you are operating in faith and seeking the Lord's will with your, in your life, which he has clearly made known to you, such as with Abram here, right? This is just on the coattails of a victory of faith and then counted to him as righteousness, then I believe you are able to bridle your own conflicting thoughts that would rise against it, right? They come, sure, but you can keep them in check, recognizing them for what they are. It's like, uh uh-uh, no way, I reject that thought. Yes, you're there, but I know where you're from. You are, you are at the root, your root is anchored deep in lies. Get out, like you can do that. I do that, okay? While when it's your spouse, whom with your heart you aim to please, the temptation to be swayed can be very powerful. This is why, I believe, this is why Paul gave due attention on this matter between husband and wives, or even between the betrothed in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Listen to a a portion of his argument in in the seventh chapter of that book, in verses 32 to 35. Paul writes, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. That's critical. His interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your, for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, meaning not to prevent you from getting married, but to promote good order and to, sec- and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. In short, and for the point I am making in regards to Abram listening to the voice of his wife, husbands' interests are divided. They, they just are. Divided between the Lord and his wife. That's why, that's why Paul is saying, if you are self-controlled and able to live singularly devoted to the Lord, there is, there is great good and benefit in that. But only if. Only if this is what God is calling you to and has granted you the ability to do so. Otherwise, you are bound to yield to sin of sexual immorality. So if it's clear God has not given you the strength to remain self-controlled and single all your life, then by all means, you know, get married. Get married. But when married, know this. Interests are divided. And the tug on your heart, your wife has the power to do, is significant. 
significant enough to sway you from what God has placed on your heart. We need to be careful, though. We need to be careful, though, don't we? For the voice of our wife equally has the power to sway us in alignment with the Lord's will as well. For she is indeed our suitable helper. That's true, as all, that's true also. Well, like, so what do we do here, pastor? <laughs> At first I hear, hear you say, don't listen to your wife, but the Lord only. But then I hear you say, listen to your wife, for the Lord may be speaking through her. It's like, come on, man. Throw me a bone here. Give me something I can use. Okay, I aim to. I aim to because you know, it's both. It's, it's, it's both. Listen to your wife and be willing to be swayed by her so long as it does not go against convictions the Lord has clearly made known to you. So what if it's somewhere in the, the gray area, you ask? You know, you're just, you're just uncertain as to whether I should be swayed or clearly confirmed in my heart that I should not. Like, what then? Which I venture to say is most of the realm we operate in. This, I, I know for my wife it's often that. So, so what do we do then? How do you test this to know which way to go? Begin by prayer and examination against God's word. Take it to the Lord and prayer and take it to his word. Begin there. What does scripture have to say on the subject matter? Next, where does peace abide? Is peace present for the both of you? And you guys are one flesh, right? Husbands and wife are one flesh. So if there is not peace, if you're not united in peace, wait. So long as you are able, wait till peace comes for both of you. While all along seeking the Lord in prayer and in, and in his word that it would. He is trustworthy in his time to deliver. And lastly, lastly, I would say on this, you know, seek counsel together. Seek counsel together. Open the conversation up with a, with a trusted couple and hear what they would have to offer for counsel and prayer support. I mean, church, we, we have one another for such mutual support. Be humble enough to invite others in. Chances are, Chances are strong they have gone through or are going through similar things and the help will not only be certain, but mutual. Okay? This is what Abram should have done. He should have held firm in his resolve of what he believed about, of what he believed God about even if it meant for a time his wife would not be pleased. Which is so very hard. And I say that as a husband. It is so very hard. When my, when my wife is aching, my heart is aching. 
It's aching right along with her, even when it is a result of me holding firm to the clear convictions I have from God. You know, permission to speak frankly, it stinks. And I wanted a stronger word there, but it just would not be appropriate. But it stinks. It's so, it's miserable. I hate it. I hate it. But it is for the good of my wife and our whole household to hold that resolve. God will prove so every time when we hold firm to his promises, to what he has placed on our hearts. He is trustworthy. So husbands, closing in this, husbands, graciously, respectfully, humbly, hold resolve in what God has made clear to you while not closing your ear to your wife. Well, Abram does not do this. <laughs> he does not do this. And what is the outcome? Verses 4 through 6, as we finish up this first point. And he, that'd be Abram, went in to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she, Hagar, saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress, who is Sarai. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. You know, she could have said that back in Egypt, right? (laughs) Moving on. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And now check out Abram's compassion on the situation. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. (laughs) Ouch. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled, she being Hagar, fled from her. You know, his, his bad example returns to him, as does his lack of compassion for others. We saw that in Egypt. It's right back again. The devised plan is executed, right? A child is conceived, Things deteriorate rapidly. Abram's past bad examples and his lack of resolve and obedience to God results in strife in the home. What seemed perhaps helpful and pleasant in the beginning, all self-serving, you know, all self-serving, embrace my Egyptian servant as your wife, go into her, clearly they conceived, you know what's going on there, pleasure is involved. I mean, it's, it's all self-serving. And there may have been some, uh, some deceitful reasoning in Abram's head, right? For God had yet to specify that it would be through Sarai by which his offspring would come. That wasn't specified yet. Though it is clearly implied, not to mention God's intervention with Pharaoh when they were in Egypt, but, but oh, how our minds and our hearts can deceive us like that. I mean, it's, it's conceivable to think, it's conceivable for Abram to be thinking, it's Sarai's idea. You know, she's all for it. God, said that it. God said that it would be through me. He didn't specify who the woman would be. Maybe. Maybe we can help things along. I mean, it's been a decade now. God made this promise way back in Haran. Decades passed. She's got the idea. She's supportive. 
It's dangerous, dangerous thinking, very dangerous thinking. And what is the fruit of that thinking and acting on it? Heartache. We see that here. Heartache and stressful contentions afterwards that never left all his days. You know, echoing the the lack of compassion Abram showed his wife when going down to Egypt. This carries on now into the lack of compassion shown Hagar by Sarai and Abram. There's just everyone suffering. All parties, parties are suffering now. Abram, Sarai, and Hagar. Hagar. Abram and Sarai are now, they're just clearly not happy. Nor is their relationship flourishing. I mean, can you imagine how this ugly part of their storyline now, how this ugly part of their past could just surface at any time when contentions are flared up? Oh, Abraham, don't, don't give me that speech again, but that it was your idea. Like, I know it was my idea. I was there. But you certainly didn't put up any objection to it now, did you? You're the husband. You're supposed to lead. Why were you leading me then? I mean, that could have been, I mean, how many times do you think that conversation took place, I wonder? I mean, it's very real. I think it was plenty of times when agitation was riled up and they were upset with each other. And in this moment, who's receiving the, the blow of it? Like Hagar. I mean, she's just like collateral damage in so many ways, just hammering with a lack of compassion. She is receiving much of the end of the, of the, of the strife here. Acting not in faith. This is the result of acting not in faith. Taking matters into your own hands as best as you can will bear this fruit. Abram took matters into his own hands down in Egypt, and his wife Sarai does so here. The father-to-be, as promised by God, has formative influence over his household, even before a child is born to him. Even before a child is born to him. Note that, you singles here. Note that. Formative influence is taking shape even before he became a dad. And the harm done thereby is great. Is great. A father's formative influence over his household. And how it landed for me again to preach from texts that that unapologetically tells the honest truth about Abram's walk of faith, namely his failures, like, Lord knows. It's coincidental? No, nor is it purposeful. Though it's fun to jest so with Ben and Nathan. But it's real though, isn't it? Like, like our walk of faith with the Lord, Abram's life is, is showing progression. There's, there's progression being made, but not without flaws, not without mistakes, not without acting, not in faith, but rather acting on impatience and anxiousness on God, who, whom Abram believed, truly believed in, and the promises God made to him. And man, how... Does that sound like anyone you know? It's like, look in the mirror, right? How often I do that. Growing impatient in the waiting. Feeling anxious about things. Tempting, tempting ideas originate within or are brought to you from without that would, that would sway you to help God move things along as he promised to. Like, I, God, I believe you're going to do this. God, I do and here's a way I thought you might be able to do it. 
right? We just, we, that happens, naturally flows. I, we are guilty of this. So may God's word receive today, strengthen the check in our heart not to, knowing it is not good for us now, and it sets formative influence in our lives. I'm hungry for a good example right now. I'm hungry for a good example at this point. How about you guys? Yeah. Well, thankfully, God's word supplies and does so by the example our Heavenly Father shows who is not interrupted in the least in fulfilling his covenant promise. Like, this doesn't even stumble him. And in the example he shows, we see these, his patterns. Patterns by grace that have influence upon our hearts as we grow in our knowledge of him, and thereby bring glory to his name as the world sees his character increasingly reflected in our lives. For we are his household. The household of faith, right? Like his formative influence is his character as we look to him. We are his house. If I delay, Paul writes, 1 Timothy 3.15, if I delay that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The verse from which the very name of this local church body us is, deri- is derived from. Pillar. So very clear then. We are God's house. You and I are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure that is every born-again child of God throughout all time, the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So I say again, we the church, you Christian, and your brother and sisters together along with you are the household of God, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And our Father God, praise to his name, has formative influence over his household. As that which we aspire to, and by God's grace grow in becoming in the here and now by the grace of his spirit powerfully at work in us through faith in Jesus Christ to bring it about according to his word. And so, for our delight and blessing to be helped by, in these final 10 verses, 7 through 16, we see a father's good example, a father's compassionate patterns in his care, in God's care of Hagar whom has fled her home by cause of rejection. Abram's poor examples return to him with harmful effects, and our Heavenly Father's good examples follow with healing effects, which is our second point. Good examples follow with healing effects. 
So let's go ahead and read these 10 verses, 7 through 16 together, to enter into this this scene taking place. Remember, uh, Hagar has just fled, more or less being rejected by Abram and Sarai. Abram could care less, and Sarai is dealing harshly with her. You know, compassion is ice cold. Hagar is pregnant, homeless, and alone. Verses 7 through 16. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the, and the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahaya Roi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore him, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Who is the angel of the Lord? (laughs) Let's start there. Who is the angel of the Lord? Because let's be sure we're tracking together on that before before we proceed. It's the first time in scripture we read about the angel of the Lord. In consideration of this phrase, let's begin with the word angel. Hebrews 1.14 describes angels, that's plural, but angels as all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. So sent out by God to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Angel could, singularly, angel could be defined as a messenger or a, a representative So a a spiritual being sent by God to serve on his behalf for the sake of of one like Hagar here. Like this, this would fit well. With the exception that the angel of the Lord says in verse 10 that I shall, or I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. That's sounding very much as if it's God himself speaking. But then at the end of verse 11, the angel of the Lord says, the Lord has listened to your affliction. Like that's third person, right? Yeah, listen to Hagar's words in verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her 
You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, I have seen him who looks after me. So what's going on here? Something we'll encounter at other areas of scripture. When the angel of the Lord is present. This isn't the only time. Genesis 22, Numbers 22, Judges 6 are just a few other examples amongst many. The authors of scripture referring to the angel of the Lord as both Yahweh and also distinct from Yahweh. To say it's mysterious and complex is right. And so is our God. Amen? So is our God. I mean, is not God's sovereignty and man's responsibility engaged together in our hearts, both mysterious and complex? Is not the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God, eternal God, becoming a man, both mysterious and complex? Is not the contemplation of the Trinity, of a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, both mysterious and complex? Of course, it all is. It all is. And how could it be otherwise? For if we are able to define God completely, then he would cease to be God. The angel of the Lord is present here. At times, seeming like a distinct representative of the Lord, of Yahweh, serving Hagar on his behalf, and at other times or other moments, conducting as Yahweh himself. Either way, though, what is retained is the heart of God the Father and the example he sets in his household in his dealings with Hagar. So what do we see as a good example to aspire to and by God's grace become? What patterns are observed by God the Father and his compassion shown to Hagar? Verse 7. The angel of the Lord is searching for her. He's searching for her. God What we see in God's heart here, his character, his patterns, God is a father who leaves the 99 to search for the one lost sheep. He is a father who who pursues. He is a father who pursues. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Do we share his heart and search out ways to reach the lost? the lost within our own home, our own household, but also beyond, to the far reaches of our area of influence. Such reflects the heart of our Heavenly Father, and such is a pattern to set by good example in our lives. Verse 8, the angel of the Lord 
knows her name and who she is and shows care for her by inquiring about her well-being. But watch this. While also, get this Christian, while also not neglecting her sin. He does that all together. And why do I say that? Why am I drawing attention to sin here? See how in verse 8, God softly gives attention to the fact that she is not where she is supposed to be? Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? Which God most certainly knows. But in his compassionate care for her, this is how and where he engages. Our Heavenly Father will always, in perfect love and for our good, he will always address sin. Always address sin, gives attention to it. Much like his encounter with the woman at the well, remember? Very similar. Engaging her and then goes right, softly goes right to the sin. We would do well to follow his example, starting with our own sin. Like this, this needs to be seen before the eyes of those whom we bear influence upon. Like they are serious about their sin. Serious about putting it to death, right? Serious about confessing when they are sinning, repenting, and pursuing holiness. That's being serious about sin, is proactively pursuing holiness, right? This needs to be seen by example, observed by those who we have influence upon. Is this a pattern? Is this a habit? Is this a practice in your life as an example to those whom you bear influence upon? Immediately following God's, God addressing Hagar's sin as he gently engages here, verse 9, the angel of the Lord gives her a command, gives her instruction which would not be an easy one for her to follow, right? Return to the one whom you are fleeing from. Return to Hagar, or excuse me, return to Sarai. The one you're fleeing from who's treating you harshly, return to her and submit to her. A loving father deals with sin, and we see God here as a father dealing with her sin and calling her to take action. Her behavior towards Sarai, back in verse 4, we read through that, but we didn't give attention to it yet, realizing she's pregnant, and I just wonder what that expression was on her face towards Sarai. Like, hmm, yeah, in your face, I am pregnant. Who knows, but it was felt, right? It was in the room. Sarai knew exactly what she was thinking. She looked with contempt on her, and that was wrong. That was wrong. Her behavior towards Sarai back in that verse was uncalled for and sinful, and God commands her. He commands her to return to her place under Sarai and submit to her. 
which she obeys. She obeys. God the Father always, he's always directing those in his household towards what? Obedience. There's always that obedience of faith. He's he's always going to be moving towards, away from sin and towards obedience. We do well to do likewise, both by our instruction, the fruit of our lips, but definitely by our own example of obedient living. You know, is, so is, is, is that a pattern, a habit, a practice in your life as an example to those whom you bear influence upon? Verses 10 through 12. The angel of the Lord promises a blessing. Promises a blessing. God makes this wonderful promise, or these wonderful promises to her, who's undeserving. Like, she doesn't deserve this. There's nothing she merited. But are any of God's promises based on merit credited to any one of us? No, no, never. It's all grace. So in God's typical form of grace, he assures Hagar of this child to be born. You are pregnant and a son is to be born. And he assures her of it that, and marking that assurance by, by a nation of people who will come from him. Like, that's huge. This child, a nation will come from him. A people of multitude, right? That's huge. And also, a regular reminder to her, by the name the child is to be given, that God is communicating to her every time she says his name, Ishmael, like, I see your, or I hear your affliction. What kindness. Like, This is the name. I want you to name your child so you remember that I hear your affliction. Ishmael is to be his name, which means, Ishmael means God hears. That would bring a regular comfort to her soul. And lastly, the sort of man he will be, like, kind of lays it out. This is the sort of man he will be, which conveys... God knows him. He already knows him. God knows him who is yet to be born. It's not a flattering forecast for Ishmael's life in some regard, but nevertheless, it's what, he is one that is known by God. And what a blessing to know that. Like, like even your child right now, Amanda, God knows your daughter. That gives me goosebumps to think about that. It's just, our, it's our father. He knows and what a comfort to, to, to Hagar to hear this. Who I can, I believe with all my heart, she is experiencing healing effects by it, by the compassionate care God the Father is giving to her. Right? Seeks her out, calls her name, softly, gently engages her with not neglecting her sin, calling her to obedience and then assuring her with this blessing, closing with this blessing. And so with this, with this blessing, the question to pose would be then, do you, do I, by example and pattern, habit and practice in our lives, bring a blessing to those whom we bear influence upon? Like, I've been thinking about this. Like, man, I hope I am one. When I walk into a room, it's like a refreshment. I know I'm not always that case, right? 
But man, wouldn't that be, isn't that something to aspire to, that that is the pattern? And when I see that, that person's face, like, oof, I'm stoked. Like, I don't feel like on edge, like, oh, no. I mean, it, I mean, that, what a ministry that is. If that is your pattern, if that is your habit. That our pattern is to re- bring refreshment to those we bear influence upon, to, to build up. Do we build up? Or is that our, our default? I want to build you up. Or do we tear down? It's going to be one or the other, right? Do we build up or do we tear down? Do we bring harmful effects or healing effects by our habits, our patterns, by what formative influence we bring to those around us? Our, our household firstly, but also beyond to the full scope of our area of influence. And I love this. I love this, this, this closing part here. Hagar responds. I love how she responds. Verse 13, she responds with naming the place. She's at this well, the spring rather. I guess it's a well because it says it later, but she names that place. Like, I, I'm not going to forget this place. Beer Lahea Roy, Roy. The well, this is what it means. The well of the living one who sees me. <laughs> God says to her, I hear the cry of your affliction, Sarai. I hear it. And she responds to God, you are a God who sees me. Oh, that's glorious. She's healed. I mean, do you see that healing taking place? Rejected by Abram, by her, her husband, who just basically abused her. She wasn't, it wasn't a courtship there. You're marrying, you're a servant. This is what you're doing. That was abusive. Rejected by Sarai as well, treating harshly. Who knows what that was like? Just flees, like flees. Like, I'm afraid. I got to get out of here for my life. That's where she was at. And now she's at this sweet place with her God who tells her, I hear your affliction. She says, I see you are a God who sees me. What a moment. She is restored. She is built up. As should be the formative influence we bring to others. The question from the beginning returns. The question from the beginning returns. The question being, what patterns are being set in your household or in your area of influence to make sure it gets the full scope of every soul present in your area of influence? What patterns are being set? What habits, patterns, and practices, you know, down to the, to the smallest detail of our lives, our flow of life day in and day out. Because it's, it's, it's unavoidable, really. You got to think about this. It's unavoidable. We are becoming that which our habits, our patterns and practices produce. We are the product of it. And this has influence on those around us. You can't remove that either. It's going to have influence either for harm or for healing effects. 
Are we looking to Jesus? Because we need to go there to be able to do it, right? Are we looking to Jesus, the exact imprint of the Father's nature? To have his character? To have his attributes take formative influence over our lives? That we may bring that influence by our habits and our patterns that just reflected that rhythm of life that reflects the character, the attributes of our, of our God? to bring that influence to others, to the praise of his glory. As his household, again, we are the household, you and I, the church, making up the whole structure, being joined together to grow into a holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It is our duty and our delight to do so. Would you pray with me? Father, I, I'm so grateful for, for your word, for you, for the church of whom I am a member of, for this opportunity to, to worship together, to share the word that you have placed upon my heart from the text, to impart that we may share it together. And I believe there is a right challenge as we consider what, what are our our habits, our patterns, what is that formulating? What influence are we bringing? So Holy Spirit, I I pray you would help us filter through and and see, affirm where there is good, healthy habits. And also, even as we saw God, you would gently engage and confront um, Hagar's sin, that you would gently expose, like this, this this is not contributing well to the person you are to become, to whom I'm calling you to become, to whom we want to be. And it does have influence on those around us. It cannot. So God, like Abram, we're flawed. We're broken. We make mistakes, but we do aspire. We aspire to reflect your nature, to have your heart be so evident and manifested in our lives. And so help us look to you, Jesus, the exact imprint of the Father. Help us look to you, your life, your teachings, and with the empowering of your Holy Spirit, grow, increasingly grow in these these fruits of the Spirit to express this, to, to live as that refreshment, as that blessing to others. We trust you in this word, God. I love, I even read this morning, we trust you, God, in in whose word we praise. (laughs) How that's connected, God. We, We trust you and we praise your word. And so we ask, God, for your help. We do love you. And we do need you each and every day. So lead us forward uh, on this path to life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.